Chapter Nineteen of Gunsight Pass: How Oil Came to the Cattle Country and Brought a New West by William McLeod Rain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. An involuntary bath. Jackpot number three hooked its tools the second day after Sanders's visit to that location. A few hours later, its engine was thumping merrily and the cable rising and falling monotonously in the casing. On the afternoon of the third day, Bob Hart rode up to the wildcat well where Dave was building a sump hole with a gang of Mexicans. He drew Sanders to one side. Trouble tonight, Dave, looks like, at jackpot number three. We're in a layer of soft shale just above the oil-barren sand. Soon we'll know where we're at. Word has reached me that Doble means to rush the night tower and wreck the engine. You'll stand his crowd off? You're whistling. Sure your information is right? It's correct, Bob added after a momentary hesitation. We got a spy in his camp. Sanders did not ask whether the affair was to be a pitched battle. He waited, sure that Bob would tell him when he was ready. That young man came to the subject indirectly. How's your shoulder, Dave? Doesn't trouble me any unless something is slammed against it. Interfere with you using a six-shooter? No. Like to take a ride with me over to the jackpot? Yes. Good enough. I want you to look the ground over with me. Looks now as if it would come to fireworks, but we don't want any Fourth of July stuff if we can help it, can we? That's the point. At the jackpot, the friends walked over the grounds together. Back of the location and to the west of it, an arroyo ran from a canyon above. Follow it down and it'll take you right into the location where Steelman's drilling, explained Bob. Doug's going to lead his gang up the arroyo to the mesquite here, sneak down on us, and take our camp with a rush. At least, that's what he aims to do. You can't always tell, as the fellow says. What's up above? A dam. Steelman owns the ground up there. He's got several acres of water backed up there for irrigation purposes. Let's go up and look it over. Bob showed a mild surprise. Why, yes, if you want to take some exercise— this is my busy day, but... Sanders ignored the hint. He led the way up a stiff trail that took them to the mouth of the canyon. Across the face of this, a dam stretched. They climbed to the top of it. The water rose to within about six feet from the rim of the curved wall. Some view, commented Bob with a grin, looking across the plains that spread fan-like from the mouth of the gorge. But I ain't much interested in scenery today, somehow. When were you expecting to shoot the well, Bob? Sometime tomorrow. Don't know just when. Why? Got the nitro here yet? Brought it up this morning myself. How much? Twelve quarts. Any dynamite in camp? Yes, a dozen sticks, maybe. And three gallons of nitro, you say? Yep. That's enough to do the job, Sanders said, as though talking aloud to himself. Yep, that's what we usually use. I'm speaking of another job. Let's get down from here. We might be seen. They couldn't hit us from the Steelman location too far, said Bob, and I don't reckon anyone would try to do that. No, but they might get to wondering what we're doing up here. I'm wondering that myself, drawled Hart. Most generally, when I take a pass here, it's on the back of a bronc. I ain't one of them that believes the good Lord made human legs to be walked on, not so long as any broomtails are left to straddle. Screened by the heavy mesquite below, Sanders unfolded his proposed plan of operations. 
Bob listened, and as Dave talked, there came into Hart's eyes dancing imps of deviltry. He gave a subdued whoop of delight, slapped his dusty white hat on his thigh, and vented his enthusiasm in murmurs of admiring profanity. It may not work out, suggested his friend, but if your information is correct and they come up the arroyo, it's correct enough. Let me ask you a question. If you was attacking us, wouldn't you come that way? Yes. Sure, it's a logical way. Doug figures to capture our camp without firing a shot, and he'd a done it, too, if we hadn't had warning. Sanders frowned, his mind busy over the plan. It ought to work unless something upsets it, he said. Sure it will, you darned old fox. I never did see your beat. Say, if we pull this off right, Doug's gonna pretty near be laughed out of the county. Keep it quiet. Only three of us need to know it. You stay at the well to keep Doble's gang back if we slip up. I'll give the signal, and the third man will fire the fuse. Buck Byington will be here pretty soon. I'll get him to set off the Fourth of July celebration. He's a regular clam. Won't ever say a word about this. When you hear her go off, you better bring the men down on the jump. Byington came up the road half an hour later at a cowpuncher's jog trot. He slid from the saddle and came forward chewing tobacco. His impassive, leathery face expressed no emotion whatever. Carelessly and casually, he shook hands. "'How, Dave?' "'How, Buck?' answered Sanders. The old puncher had always liked Dave Sanders. The boy had begun to work on the range as a protege of his. He had taught him how to read sign and how to throw a rope. They had ridden out a blizzard together, and the old-timer had cared for him like a father. The boy had repaid him with a warm, ingenuous affection, an engaging sweetness of outward respect. A certain fineness in the eager face had lingered as an inheritance from his clean youth. No playful pup could have been more friendly. Now Buck shook hands with a grim-faced man, one a thousand years old in bitter experience. The eyes let no warmth escape. In the younger man's consciousness rose the memory of a hundred kindnesses flowing from Buck to him. Yet he could not let himself go. It was as though the prison chill had encased his heart in ice, which held his impulses fast. After dusk had fallen, they made their preparations. The three men slipped away from the bunkhouse into the chaparral. Bob carried a bulging gunny sack, Dave a lantern, a pick, a drill, and a hammer. None of them talked till they had reached the entrance to the canyon. We better get busy before it's too dark, Bob said. We picked this spot, Buck. Suit you? Byington had been a hard rock Colorado miner in his youth. He examined the dam and came back to the place chosen. After taking off his coat, he picked up the hammer. Let's start. The sooner the quicker. Dave soaked the gunny sack in water and folded it over the top of the drill to deaden the sound. Buck wielded the hammer and Bob held the drill. After it grew dark, they worked by the light of the lantern. Dave and Bob relieved Buck at the hammer. They drilled two holes, put in the dynamite charges, tamped them down, and filled in again the holes. The nitroglycerin, too, was prepared and set for explosion. Hart straightened stiffly and looked at his watch. Time to move back to camp, Dave. Business may be getting brisk soon now. Maybe Doug may get in a hurry and start things earlier than he intended. Don't miss my signal, Buck. Two shots, one right after the other, said Dave. I'll promise you to send back two shots a heap louder. You sure won't miss them. 
answered Buck with a grin. The younger men left him at the dam and went back down the trail to their camp. No report yet from the lads watching the arroyo. I expect Doug's waiting till he thinks we're all asleep except the night tower, whispered the man who had been left in charge by heart. Dave, you better relieve the boys at the arroyo, suggested Bob. Fireworks soon now, I expect. Sanders crept through the heavy chaparral to the live oaks above the arroyo, snaking his way among cactus and mesquite over the sand. A watcher jumped up at his approach. Dave raised his hand and moved it above his head from right to left. The guard disappeared in the darkness toward the jackpot. Presently his companion followed him. Dave was left alone. It seemed to him that the multitudinous small voices of the night had never been more active. A faint trickle of water came up from the bed of the stream. He knew this was caused by leakage from the reservoir in the gulch. A tiny rustle stirred the dry grass close to his hand. His peering into the thick brush did not avail to tell him what form of animal life was palpitating there. Far away a mockingbird throbbed out a note or two, grew quiet, and again became tunefully clamorous. A night owl hooted. The sound of a soft footfall rolling a pebble brought him to taut alertness. Eyes and ears became automatic detectives keyed to finest service. A twig snapped in the arroyo. Indistinctly, movements of blurred masses were visible. The figure of a man detached itself from the gloom and crept along the sandy wash. A second and a third took shape. The dry bed became filled with vague motion. Sanders waited no longer. He crawled back from the lip of the ravine a dozen yards, drew his revolver, and fired twice. His guess had been that the attacking party, startled at the shots, would hesitate and draw together for a whispered conference. This was exactly what occurred. An explosion tore to shreds the stillness of the night. Before the first had died away, a second one boomed out. Dave heard a shower of falling rock and concrete. He heard, too, a roar growing every moment in volume. It swept down the wall gorge like a railroad train, making up lost time. Sanders stepped forward. The gully, lately a wash of dry sand and baked adobe, was full of a fury of rushing water. Above the noise of it, he caught the echo of a despairing scream. Swiftly he ran, dodging among the cat-claw and prickly pear like a half-back carrying the ball through a broken field. His objective was a place where the arroyo opened to a draw. At this precise spot, Steelman had located his derrick. The tower no longer tapered gauntly to the sky. The rush of waters released from the dam had swept it from its foundation, torn apart the timbers, and scattered them far and wide. With it had gone the wheel, dragging from the casing the cable. The string of tools jerked from their socket, probably lay at the bottom of the well two thousand feet down. Dave heard a groan. He moved toward the sound. A man lay on a sand hummock, washed up by the tide. "'Badly hurt?' asked Dave. "'I've been drowned entirely, swallowed by a flood, and knocked galley west for Sunday. I don't know yet am I dead or not. Mither of Moses, what was it hit us?' "'The dam must have broke.' "'Was the Mississippi corked up in the Dom Canyon?' Bob bore down upon the scene at the head of the jackpot contingent. He gave a whoop at sight of the wrecked derrick and engine. "'Kindling wood and junk,' was his verdict. "'Where's Doug and his gang?' Dave relieved the half-drowned man of his revolver. "'Here's one. 
The rest must be either in the arroyo or out in the draw. Scatter, boys, and find them. Look out for them if they're hurt. Collect their hardware first off. The water by this time had subsided. Released from the walls of the arroyo, it had spread over the desert. The supply in the reservoir was probably exhausted, for the stream no longer poured down in a torrent. Instead, it came in jets, weakly and with spent energy. Hart called. Come here and meet an old friend, Dave. Sanders made his way, ankle-deep in water, to the spot from which that irrepressibly gay voice had come. He was still carrying the revolver he had taken from the Irishman. Meet Shorty, Dave. Don't mind his not rising to shake. He's just been wrestling with the water spout, and he's some wore out. The squat puncher glared at his tormentor. I done bust my leg, he said at last sullenly. He was wet to the skin. His lank black hair fell in front of his tough, unshaven face. One hand nursed the lacerated leg. The other was hooked by a thumb into the band of his trousers. That worries us a heap, Shorty, answered Hart callously. I'd say you got it coming to you. The hand hitched in the trouser band moved slightly. Bob, aware too late of the man's intention, reached for his six-shooter. Something flew past him straight and hard. Shorty threw up his hands with a yelp and collapsed. He had been struck in the head by a heavy revolver. "'Some throwing, Dave. Much obliged,' said Hart. "'We'll disarm this bird and pack him back to the derrick.' They did. Shorty almost wept with rage and pain and impotent malice. He cursed steadily and fluently. He might as well have saved his breath, for his captors paid not the least attention to his spleen. Weak as a drowned rat, Doble came limping out of the ravine. He sat down on a timber very sick at the stomach from too much water swallowed in haste. After he had relieved himself, he looked up wanly and recognized Hart, who was searching him for a hidden six-shooter. "'Must have lost your forty-five while you was in swimming, Doug. Was the water good this evening?' I'll bet you and your lads pulled off a lot of fancy stunts when the water come down from Lodore or wherever they had it corralled. Dancing imps of mischief lit the eyes of the ex-cowpuncher. Well, I'll bet that the boys in town get a great laugh at your comedy stuff. You certainly did a good turn. Oh, you sure earned your laugh. If hatred could have killed with a look, Bob would have been a dead man. You blew up the dam, charged Doble. Me? Why, it ain't my dam. Didn't Bragg give you your orders to open the sluices to make you a swimming hole? The searchers began to straggle in, bringing with them a sadly drenched and battered lot of gunmen. Not one but looked as though he had been through the wars. An inventory of wounds showed a sprained ankle, a broken shoulder blade, a cut head, and various other minor wounds. Nearly every member of Doble's army was exceedingly nauseated. The men sat down or leaned up against the wreckage of the plant and drooped wretchedly. There was not an ounce of fight left in any of them. They must have blew the dam up, them shots we heard, one ventured without spirit. Who blew it up? demanded one of the jackpot men belligerently. If you say we did, you're a liar. He was speaking the truth so far as he knew. The man who had been through the waters did not take up the challenge. Officers in the army say that men will not fight on an empty stomach, and his was very empty. "'I'll remember this, Hart,' Doble said, and his face was a thing ill to look upon. 
The lips were drawn back so that his big teeth were bared like tusks. The eyes were yellow with malignity. "'You betcha. The boys will look after that, Doug,' reported Bob lightly. "'Every time you hook your heel over the bar rail at the gusher, you'll know they're laughing at you up their sleeves. Sure, you'll remember it.' "'Some day I'll make your whole damned outfit sorry for this,' the big hook-nosed man threatened blackly. "'No living man can laugh at me and get away with it.' "'I'm laughing at you, Doug. We all are. Wish you could see yourself as we see you. A little water takes a lot of tuck out of some men who are feeling real biggity.' Byington at this moment sauntered into the assembly. He looked around in simulated surprise. "'Must be bath night over at y'all's camp, Doug. You look kind of drooking your own self, as you might say.' Doble swore savagely. He pointed with a shaking finger at Sanders, who was standing silently in the background. "'That's the man who's responsible for this. Think I don't know? That jailbird, that convict, that killer?' His voice trembled with fury. "'You'd never a thought of it in a thousand years, Hart. Nor you, Buck, you old fathead. Wait. That's what I said. Wait. It'll be me or him one day. Soon, too.' The paroled man said nothing but no words could have been more effective than the silence of this lean, powerful man with the close-clamped jaw whose hard eyes watched his enemy so steadily. He gave out an impression of great vitality and reserve force. Even these hired thugs, dull and unimaginative though they were, understood that he was dangerous beyond most fighting men. A laugh snapped the tension. The jackpot engineer pointed to a figure emerging from the arroyo. The man who came dejectedly into view was large and fat and dripping. He was weeping curses and trying to pick cactus burrs from his anatomy. Dismal groans punctuated his profanity. "'It stranded me right on top of a big prickly pear,' he complained. "'I like never to a got off, and a million spines are sticking into me.' Bob whooped. "'Look who's among us, if it ain't our old friend, Ad Miller, the human pincushion.' Seeing as he dropped in, we'll collect him right now and find out if the sheriff ain't looking for him to take a trip on the choo-choo cars. The fat convict looked to Doble in vain for help. His friend was staring at the ground sourly in a huge disgust at life and all that it contained. Miller limped painfully to the jackpot in front of Hart. Two days later, he took the train back to the penitentiary. Emerson Crawford made it a point to see to that. End of chapter 19